0: Entrepreneurs are typically really good at a couple of things, right? The person who's really good at marketing is maybe good at marketing and creative and branding, but maybe they're not as good at supply chain or maybe they're not as good as at logistics and so We're able to come in to these businesses and apply best practices, centers of excellence to all of the different parts of the business. So that's where even if a seller had been doing one piece of it perfectly, there's always going to be pieces of that business that they just weren't focused on or wasn't their strength. And that's where we can come in and really drive value immediately.
1: You're listening to Retail Remix. Your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. It seems like you can't open a news website without seeing the word marketplaces in the headline. And I'll be honest, we're guilty of that on Retail Touchpoints as well. Um, But I mean... Let's face it, marketplaces are hot right now. There are a lot of new and exciting developments happening, everything from Amazon's new developments to Walmart bolstering their capabilities to other marketplaces just popping up. Um, it's a very active and exciting space, but um, it also leads to some lingering questions around you know, the future of the trend. Will it be oversaturated? What are the secrets to success for the brands that are selling on these marketplaces? So I wanted to bring in an expert, you know, someone who's really heads down, not just in the marketplace world, but also in the um, brand building world. That's why I'm thrilled to have Stephanie Fox, COO of Thrasio, on the show with me today. Um, For those of you who don't know, Thrasio um, acquires and helps scale brands that sell on Amazon. So a lot of companies like this emerging in the space right now. But Thracio is really rising to the top between its um, significant funding rounds. Um, They're really trying to bolster their executive team. They have um, former JCPenney CFO Bill Wofford now on their executive team. So big moves, big happenings within the Thracio world. So I wanted to get into all of those new developments with Stephanie, but also dig deep into their process, how they um, help these brands scale, what they look for in these brands, and what trends they're tracking in this marketplace space. So listen in; she actually provides some pretty, um, pretty fascinating takes on, on what's happening in this world. So hopefully, you'll find it valuable. Stephanie, thanks so much for being on the show. Great to meet you. And thank you so much for taking the time out to join me today. No problem. Nice to meet you too. So let's start with the basics because there has been a lot of buzz about your company, Thracio lately. So let's start at the high level. Why don't you share a little bit about the company, its mission, and the role that you're playing in the retail industry? Sure.
0: So Thrasio was started in 2018. We acquire Amazon FBA businesses, and then we scale them. And so what we're doing is we're finding really great products, things that are ranking extremely well on Amazon already, high quality stuff. So if you go to Amazon and you type in pillow, we want the bestseller number one ranked pillow that customers know and love. And we're building a portfolio of those types of products. And
1: then our team is managing that portfolio and growing them on and off of Amazon. So fascinating. And obviously, marketplaces are a very hot topic for our audience right now. But I want to understand a little bit more about what you do on the day-to-day. So you started as SVP of brand operations, and now you're acting as COO, which I love to hear stories of people who have traveled through the ranks in businesses, especially growing businesses. So what, what does your day-to-day look like? Have there been any changes as your business has grown and evolved? Or is this just kind of the nature of what happens as you know a business scales so so significantly and in some cases so quickly, and your role just kind of went along with it?
0: Yeah, I mean, great question. Short answer is yes, things change every single day. (laughs) That's just the nature of the beast with e commerce and with a fast growth company like ours. Um, So, I mean, my quick background is I was employee number one of Thrasio. So, back in 2018, it was um, Carlos and Josh, our two co founders and co CEOs, and myself, and John Hepter was around in the beginning as well. And then, short, you know, we, Brandon and others kind of came in quickly, but basically, Carlos and Josh would focus on raising the money and acquiring the first couple businesses and then throw them over the fence for me to figure out how to run them. And so I was doing everything from literally replying to customer service emails, signing up marketing agencies to help with PPC, communicating with suppliers in China. I flew over to Guangzhou and met with a few of our suppliers, went to the Canton Fair. So 2018 looked like a pretty crazy, you know, I was really wearing a hundred different hats and truly just acting as an entrepreneur and, and running these businesses, soup to nuts, taking over from the previous entrepreneurs. And then what we did is just, we hired really smart people early. We really kind of filled out the top of the org fast. And so we brought in our head of supply chain, our head of marketing our head of product launch and creative strategy or head of acquisitions, right? So we brought in all these great people early and then let them sort of build their teams and shape the organization. And and then where I've shifted to now is I oversee our brand management org. And so when we acquire a business, we assign a brand manager to that business to run all the day-to-day to to act as sort of the entrepreneur of that business within Thrasio to work with all the cross-functional partners. I also oversee our customer support team, which is primarily in the Philippines It's about 150 people right now. I oversee our direct-to-consumer team, which is taking these Amazon businesses and and launching them on direct-to-consumer Shopify sites, as well as our international team launching these products internationally, and our conveyor belt team, which is in charge of onboarding and applying best practices to every business we buy. So you have quite a few things going on, basically, (laughs) one or or two,
1: (laughs) just just a few things. Um, No, well, you're definitely the right person to have on this show then, because I really what fascinated me most about the Thrasio business is you're kind of sitting at this really fascinating intersection, I think, of e-commerce, right? Like everyone is looking at marketplaces, especially Amazon, as in some ways, a brand awareness and customer acquisition channel, right? Like more people are starting their shopping journeys on Amazon just for general search, right? There's a there's a key moment and opportunity for discovery, but then you're also helping them scale. I think getting these smaller businesses and equipping them with the DTC and e capabilities is is that logical next step, right? That's how you scale. So I mean, benefits are pretty clear to me, but I'd love to kind of go a layer deeper because you're doing this every day, you're you're navigating these brand partnerships, you're overseeing all of these different facets. I mean, looking at the strategic model of, of Thrasio, I mean, why is this needed for these smaller companies? Is it because they're just kind of reaching a point where that scale is difficult for them to achieve and like they need to kind of break through, I guess, beyond those current Amazon FBA capabilities? I mean, I'd love to hear kind of the the why behind the Thrasio story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is actually, I think the why is is one of the pieces I'm most passionate about. So before Thrasio, I was an entrepreneur and had my own company called Bravelets, which was a jewelry company. It was a social good for-profit company. So for every item we sold, we donated $10 back to the associated nonprofit. So you buy the pink bracelet and we would donate to Susan G. Komen or the blue bracelet and we'd donate to Colon Cancer Alliance. And it was an awesome company. We grew really fast. We were on all the Inc. 500 and fast growth and all these lists. And from the outside, everything looked very rosy, but it's hard. It was a bootstrapped company that hadn't raised any capital. So we were just every single day, just battling with profitability and scale. And you have all these good ideas, but you just don't have the money to do it. Right. Or you don't, you want to hire this person, but you just can't quite afford them. Right. And so you're, you're just, you're really held back. And I think that what happened with me at Bravelet's is that you kind of hit this plateau where you're you're doing great, but then to really get to that next level, you need either an influx of cash or you need an influx of expertise. And so that's really part of the Bravelets kind of struggle is what led to Thracio as well. And and that's where this is such an exciting opportunity. And so the mission that I think we've always had at Thracio that we may not say outwardly, but is that we're making entrepreneurs dreams come true, like every entrepreneur that starts their business, eventually wants to be able to have that big payday and to sell their business, not everyone, some people want to run their business forever. And that's fine, too. But a lot of entrepreneurs want to have that payday. And so I think that's what we've been able to do. We've created over 100 millionaires in three years, we've made 100 entrepreneurs dreams come true. And and we've allowed them to have that successful exit. We have so many just heartwarming stories of some of the businesses we've bought that the seller then used those funds to pay off their mom's house or pay off medical bills or put their child through college or whatever it may be. We have one seller I can think of that sold us their business, I think about a year and a half ago. And then we actually just, I think yesterday, closed on their second business. So they sold us one business, they went and started another one and sold us that one. So that's the piece that I think is really special. And then I guess the last thing I would add to that is just it's is all about these win-win relationships. So we buy a great business, it's a win-win, right? The entrepreneur is able to cash out, we get this great business. And then it's win-win, it continues where we then improve the packaging or maybe improve the product quality a little bit or change the pricing to make it more accessible to more customers. And so now Amazon.com has a more compelling listing that's converting higher and selling better and and customers like, right? So then it becomes this win-win for customers and for Amazon and us and the sellers. And that's sort of the special sauce where it all really starts to hum.
1: Right. Yeah. Because I mean, being there is half the battle, but then there's the, okay, well, how do you, once you get that acquisition, how do you get people to continue to go back to them? I mean, you don't want them to just rely on Amazon, right? You want to create some sort of branded experience that the company can own, or in this case, that you can own, that's a bit more expansive or, or detailed, I could imagine, right? So it's kind of like you're getting the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, we're, we're finding entrepreneurs are typically really good at a couple of things, right? The person who's really good at marketing is maybe good at marketing and creative and branding, but maybe they're not as good at supply chain or maybe they're not as good as, at logistics. And so, we're able to come in to these businesses and apply best practices, centers of excellence to all of the different parts of the business. So that's where even if a seller had been doing one piece of it perfectly, there's always gonna be pieces of that business that they just weren't focused on or wasn't their strength. And that's where we can come in and really drive value immediately.
1: Yeah, that's great. Because I know entrepreneurs have different skill sets, right? Like we have the very creative entrepreneurs, like the idea people, right? And then there are those that really thrive in the business side of things or or the finances. So I guess you could say part of the Thrasio process is identifying those gaps and kind of overlaying them against the goals or the opportunities and figuring out how to move forward. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I love that. So to your point earlier, just so I I fully understand. So it seems like in a lot of these cases, the founder or creator of the brand or product typically wants an exit deal, right? Whether they just want to pay off a house or they want to just move on to the next business. But then you noted that sometimes it's not always the case. So Does Thrasio, like is there flexibility in terms of the types of deals that you make with these companies or is it largely just it's a case where the founder wants an exit deal then to move on to the next thing? I just want to make sure I fully understand the dynamics of the different relationships there. Yeah, good question.
0: So, I mean, I would say the vast majority of our deals, the entrepreneur wants to move on. So they sell us the business and they walk away. And we're able to onboard these businesses into our systems and take over operations very, very quickly and in a matter of weeks. So there's none of this, Hey, we bought your company, but we still need you to hang around for the next year working for us. Right? Like that's, that's not it at all. We buy the business, we migrate it and then they can walk away. So that's, I'd say that 90% of the time we do have cases though, where the entrepreneur says, you know what, I like, I actually have all these ideas. I'm really passionate about product launch or this one piece of the business. And then we, we work out a creative deal where they get to continue doing that. So, okay, you can keep launching products for this brand and we'll pay you some sort of revenue share or profit share for the products you launch. We've hired some people into Thrasio as full-time employees. So I would say it's completely flexible. Every deal is different and we're hiring like crazy and looking for good people. So there's always, if a seller wants to stick around and help us or, or even join our team, we're definitely open to that. But yeah, majority of the time, they're kind of ready to move on to their next thing.
1: Okay, got it. That's super helpful. And you talked about briefly that your goal is to really identify and bring in the top performing brands and products through Amazon. I would love to understand what that process looks like. Like what kind of data do you look at? How do you determine what brand or what product is right for this portfolio essentially that you're building as a business? Like, are you emphasizing certain categories or are you just trying to have a a breadth of different products to have that greater diversity? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, we're category agnostic
0: and we have been from day one. So we're not only acquiring sports and outdoors or only acquiring bedding or whatnot. I think the things we stay away from are anything super trendy. We don't want to buy a fidget spinner business, you know, or something that's like spiked up but then going to go away. And then things that just become obsolete, so like fast fashion or like an iPhone accessory that like as soon as the next iPhone comes out, it's obsolete. So then that, that Amazon listing kind of disappears. I, and even that, there's ways that we've made kind of products like that work where we can come out with like a new version. So yeah, really it's kind of the super trendy stuff. Um, And then things with high obsolescence risk is what we stay away from and anything else goes. And we have a very random mix of of products.
1: (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So I mean, data is a big part of your model, right? Like how you kind of go about optimizing, I guess, your mix and figuring out the strategies for growth for your brands, right? Like how, how does that work? Where does the data come from? What's the process? I mean, we're talking so much about data-driven decision-making and it's largely through the lens of like omni-channel retailers. But I mean, the e-commerce landscape is so vast and there are so many of these like smaller businesses, like th- there are still opportunities for them too. So I mean, what does that data-driven approach or or model look like for you? Yeah, great question. And, and I think it's probably
0: the most important factor to success in e-commerce is to let the data drive decisions because we all have what we think is going to work and you just have to trust the data. So, we've from day one done that in every department at Thrasio. So, our our creative team, for example, everything is split test everything. If we launch a new main image, we're watching the conversion rate before and after. We're making sure that any incremental changes we make to these listings, whether it be images or title or bullets or enhanced brain content or whatever it is, we're testing as much as we can ahead of time. And then after it goes live, we're watching very closely. So, cause sometimes you'll come out with beautiful creative that everyone that looks at it says, yeah, this looks good. This looks better than the old creative. And then you push it live and then conversion rate tanks. And you're like, wait, what happened? And the Amazon customer liked the old packaging, like, or or liked the old images. And so you have to just take that information and say, okay, go back to the drawing board and, and try it again. And, and then when you make it better, you have to Try it again and make it better and better. And so that it's just this constantly iterative process. But I also think, like, when you let the data drive decision, that it takes all the emotion out of it. So there's no, well, I like this product or I like this packaging. And it's, you just have to see what the data tells you. And then you prioritize based on that.
1: Yeah, I like that. So that data driven approach dictates not just what that D2C Shopify powered site looks like and what that experience looks like, but also how they're presented on Amazon. Oh, yeah.
0: Yep. When I was talking about images, I was I meant just Amazon, like main images and secondary images We're split testing all of that. Okay, got but it. But D2C is a great example too, because I think for us, we're looking at our products and we are more and more, you know, we started very Amazon heavy and Amazon focused and we still are, but we are more of a, an omni-channel company. But it's important that Not every product works in every channel. So omni-channel does not mean, okay, every single product we buy is going to get a Shopify site and it's going to be launched in walmart.com and it's going to be launched internationally, right? It's every product. You have to really look at every channel and say, what's the opportunity? So, okay, I have this spatula do I think I could launch a Shopify site or a Shopify landing page and profitably drive Facebook right. ad traffic to that landing page for this $5 spatula? Like probably right. not, right? Like it's just not <laughs> gonna be there. But you can get creative. Could I create a bundle of spatulas? And then could I sell a 10-pack of spatulas? And then all of a sudden the AOV is there. Maybe, right? Probably not still for for a D2C funnel, but but maybe it's a great play for international. And so that's really where the data drives those decisions is doing the research up front, estimating the revenue potential of each individual channel, prioritizing that across the whole portfolio, and then moving on each one kind of top to bottom where the biggest opportunities are
1: that's actually really a great point because you're trying to find products and businesses that are at all stages of maturity I'm sure right like so if you're going back to that spatula if you just have the one spatula like that's your laser focus you do it great like you can focus on on building that business through already existing marketplace channels, whereas like if there's more of a portfolio or, or a brand that is blossoming, I guess you could say, and has a lot of potential, that's probably where you would want to invest the time, effort, and energy in, in developing a, I don't want to say separate presence, but you get what I mean, an extension of that brand in some way to to create something higher value for the customer.
0: Exactly. And I think that's where starting to get really, really interesting at Thrasio because the more companies we buy, the more products we buy or launch. We have an entire product launch team that's that's launching lots of products right now every single day. And so with each product launch or each product acquisition, we're getting so much data and we're seeing what works and we're seeing it across a really broad portfolio. And then we can take those learnings and systematically apply them across the rest of the portfolio. So we're quickly seeing what's working on D 2 C. Okay. Let's rinse and repeat quickly with other products. Right. Or like what's working on Amazon or what's working on Amazon Germany, or what's working on this marketplace or that marketplace. And it's all about how do you get that data and those learnings across a broad portfolio rolled up quickly and then push back down across the whole portfolio quickly. And, and that's where I think data, data science, all of those departments are really helping us.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I feel like we're organically starting to talk about the evolution and expansion of the marketplace space. It's definitely something that we've been tracking. I mean, we've had close eyes, of course, on Amazon, and then Walmart came into the fray, even Target. And now we're seeing more and more I guess you could say legacy retailers start to integrate marketplaces into their portfolios, right? Create another revenue stream. What are you guys watching as a business strategically? What are you trying to zero in on, I guess, in terms of tracking this space? Because I feel like the more you dig into it, the more layers there there are to the marketplace story and the different advertising offerings now. I mean, like as you're trying to build your business and, and find more brands, I mean, what trends are you tracking right now?
0: Yeah, great question. I mean, and it's true, it's changing every single day. And I think it can become overwhelming if you If you really try to stay on top of every single trend and every single new this and that and new advertising channel, and that's just even in the U S and then you start looking at China and some of these live shopping events that they're having and, and things that really haven't even made their way to the U S yet, but will, we're absolutely tracking all of that. I like to keep it simple. And I like to say, the only thing that really matters is where are the consumers and how do I best reach them? And so I think what COVID has really done for us over the last year is it's created more eyeballs and more consumers on these marketplaces that never before were on them. So I'm thinking of my grandparents who live in Fort Myers, Florida, who were stuck inside for the whole last year. And they have ordered so many products on Amazon and they love it. And right. they're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting I got <laughs> like, my, Where
1: have I been? And you're yeah, like, oh, this,
0: <laughs> this is so cool. And I can just type in what I want and it arrives at my house in two days. And I mean, there's so many examples like that where I've always shopped on Amazon a lot, obviously. But even in the last year, I've changed some of my buying buying behaviors where things that maybe I used to just grab at the store, paper towels, whatever it is, I'm like, why did I ever do that? So much easier just to do the subscribe and save and have them show up on my door every, every month or every couple weeks or whatever. So I think it's once people get a taste of the ease, you meet customers where their eyeballs are, where they're shopping, and then you make it as easy as possible. And that's why Amazon is so dominant because Amazon has just had this customer obsession, laser focused since day one. And that's all they care about is let's make this as easy as possible for customers to shop and to check out. And so Yeah, I mean, I think that's where the industry is and where it's going to continue going is just how do you get in front of people? And then how do you make it very easy for them to transact?
1: And now a word from our sponsor. Change is one of the few guarantees in retail. With a constant need to improve the customer experience, be more agile and scale for growth, retailers need a foundation that can help them stay ahead of an ever-evolving retail industry. Now there's Toshiba Alera Commerce Platform. Alera is a cloud-based solution that brings scalable digital transformations to retailers. By unifying microservices, data analytics, and IoT devices, and implementing new technologies like camera vision, AI, and edge computing, Alera transforms your business beyond traditional retail. Accelerate your path toward a frictionless future today. To learn more, visit commerce.toshiba.com. We, from an editorial perspective, have been trying to keep close watch on what trends really rose to the top over the past year and change and the shifts in those behaviors, right? Like as things have started to open up, I don't think that this shift to e-commerce will necessarily minimize the importance of the store. And I know a lot of folks out there feel the same way, but it is interesting to see, to your point, how differing behaviors shift. So like, are we going to see more adoption of subscription type models? Are people going to be more willing to get certain products online versus in store now that they've realized how easy it is? So is it safe to say that you think some of these behaviors or most of these behaviors that have emerged over the past year will likely stick in some capacity, especially looking through that marketplace lens? I mean, I think so. I think the trend of
0: the grandparents who never used to shop online that now are is absolutely sticking. Like I think the new consumers to marketplace, I think are staying. And then I think it's just, it's category to category. So I think one of the categories for us that blew up last year was all of our exercise equipment. So obviously people were stuck at home and gyms were closed. And so they're buying yoga mats and exercise balls and Pilates rings and weights and a bunch of different products to use from home. I think that habit is here to stay for a lot of customers. I think people have, have realized, Oh, I can get my workout in on a 30 minute zoom break. (laughs) And like, (laughs) I don't have to drive to the gym and it's just more efficient and I'm healthier. And I, so I think, I think a lot of that stays, obviously gyms are reopening and there's a lot of people going back to gyms too. So I, I, it's like, I think we've just expanded the market. So it's not that those people will never go back to the gym, but they've learned what it's like to work out from home. And they're going to incorporate that at least some of the time into their daily life. It's the same as working from home. If you're selling stand-up desks or like office stuff, I think people are still going to be buying that. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the physical stores. I don't think they're going anywhere, but I do think it's more of an experience and it's going to be, if I just want a spatula, I'm probably just going to go to Amazon like forever versus if I'm wanting this experience where I'm, trying on clothes or I'm picking out a really curated gift for someone for an event you know something like that where I'm kind of I'm wanting the shopping experience or I'm wanting to take the research out of it for myself too I just want to walk into a store and find something cool like I do think that's that's where retail will thrive
1: Yeah. It's always so funny, I guess is the word, but when you see so many headlines that are trying to create these absolutes (laughs) around like retail, like this is how it's going to be. And like, that's it. I think a lot of it is contextual, right? It's what you need. It's how you're feeling that day. It's what else is going on in my life. Like to your point, like if I'm in back-to-back meetings all day at home, I'm like, oh, heck, like, I'm just going to do, you know, a quick Zoom workout, or I'm just going to look something up on YouTube. And like, I know now that that's possible, or that's available to me, or it's a new service from someone I follow. Like, I feel like if anything, the past year has almost created a lot of new opportunities to just show how diverse our needs and our wants really are. But I guess jury's still out. We'll we'll figure it out, hopefully, over the next year, like how significant some of these shifts are. But I, I think you raised some really strong points But to go back to, you know, just like the evolution of the e-commerce space and marketplaces and just the type of growth that we've been seeing, more people, more retailers trying to build these capabilities, the niche marketplaces, which are super fun and exciting, I would love your take on, on if you think it's possible for this space to get oversaturated. Because I mean, obviously Amazon is always going to be, or I should say, is likely going to be the leader of the pack, just given their focus on their customers and their level of innovation. But it, is it possible for this space to be too crowded and too overwhelming for the smaller brands that that you are acquiring?
0: Yeah. I mean, good question. So you're asked, is Amazon getting too saturated? Like if I'm going to look for my spatula on Amazon, is it, is it getting overwhelming? Cause there's so much selection.
1: I think it's that. I think that's stage one of the question, but then also just marketplaces in general. Like, are there just too many marketplaces that I'm just like, I don't even know (laughs) where to go? Yeah, I think short answer is probably yes to both of those that like, I mean, I even find myself sometimes when I go to Amazon and I'm like,
0: I want to buy a whatever and I'm looking and then there's so many options and I'm like, I don't have time to like think about this and (laughs) dig through every single one and never mind. Whereas if I just walked into a store and there was one option, that would be easier. So I do think there's a bit of that just kind of analysis paralysis sometimes on these marketplaces within the product categories. But I I don't think that that's too big of an issue because with more selection also comes better quality and better pricing and typically a better experience for the consumer um, overall. I think the marketplace question is interesting. I definitely think there's room for more marketplaces. Amazon is and will probably continue to be the most dominant player in the space But there's absolutely room for these niche marketplaces. And I think it just all comes down to what we talked about earlier, which is if you're providing great products and a great customer experience and customers can find what they need quickly, and then it's an easy checkout process, then I think there's definitely a place for other marketplaces. But if you're not providing those, then in a market that's becoming more saturated, the ones that aren't kind of taking care of those basic needs are the ones that will fail. So there's going to be zero way to compete in the marketplace space if you don't have at least as as easy of a process as Amazon, right? That's where I think I would really focus if I was launching a new marketplace would be just all about that ease of the checkout.
1: Yeah, definitely some good points. I know competition does create that, that focus on innovation, which leads to progress, which leads to benefits for the customer. So it, it'll definitely be interesting to see how this whole ecosystem continues to uh, shake out. But um, Stephanie, as we close out our conversation, I'd love to just kind of, ease into what's really driving... The Thracio business as we get further into 2021. And of course, as we all start planning and thinking about 2022, which is very overwhelming for me to think about, but there's been a lot of exciting developments for Thracio over the past year. Um, a good amount of funding, 100 million to be exact, in April. And you also have a new CFO, relatively new CFO on board, a former JCPenney exec. So, what's on the agenda? What are you guys going to be focusing on? Any exciting new priorities or developments coming down the pipe that we can get into?
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely very excited to have Bill on board. I'm in Houston and he's just down the road in Dallas. So adding some more team members here in Texas because the majority of our teams in the Northeast. So I was happy to have to add him down here. But so ICO's business model is always evolving. We're always looking for new opportunities. You know, we want to be the, the consumer products company of the next century. And with that comes really thinking strategically about the best way we can serve customers and, and what do those products look like and services. And I think with additional funding, it allows us to acquire larger businesses and larger brands. So perhaps brands you've heard of more so than than just sort of the kind of unbranded, you know, spatula on Amazon, there's a million kind of strategic ways that we could take this thing, but staying core to our roots, which is we want to provide excellent products to consumers at a great price and meet them where they're shopping.
1: That's fantastic. So to close up, Stephanie, I feel like you've already provided such great insight and even a few tips and best practices just sharing duracio's uh, process and how you use data to drive your approach, your decision making for your brands. But I mean, looking at This through the lens of our audience, you know, folks that maybe are building their own business, their D2C brands that are trying to figure out their next move, they're trying to get on that path to growth. Do you have any closing thoughts or recommendations for those folks listening right now that may be trying to figure out their next steps or trying to set their priorities in terms of balancing marketplaces with their brand or? really trying to optimize their digital experiences? Sure. I'll end with a couple of my favorite quotes that have
0: been helpful for me and that that I repeat probably ad nauseum to our brand managers. But one of them is done is better than perfect, which is you can work forever to have the perfect packaging or the perfect website or the perfect launch for this or that. But like done is better. Get it out there. There's no time to waste in e-commerce. So Quickly launch something and then improve. So, just action, you know, done is better than perfect. That's one of them. Fail forward is a culture that we have at Thrasio. So, complacency is failure in e commerce. And so, you always have to be trying new things and failing. You know, launch that new main image that tanks your conversion rate for a day because then you have that learning, put the old image back and then try again, right? And that's what it's all about. We always encourage our brand managers, there should be a significant failure every week because if you're not doing them that then you're not testing, you're not learning, and you're not finding the winning outcomes as well. And then the last one I would end with is just I think focus is extremely important in this industry. It's so easy to become distracted by the new shiny thing of, oh, I should launch my product on Wish or oh maybe I should launch my product on Walmart.com. And I think you have to look yourself in the mirror and only do that if channel number one is 1000% optimized. So if you still have opportunity to grow your product on Amazon, focus on Amazon before you start kind of wasting your brain power on on a ton of other channels, because what will happen is you'll end up doing each one of those 50% well, and you're not doing any of them 100% well. And And so I think really, really focus on one, get that to where it should be, then move on to the next one, really, really focus and kind of approach it in that way.
1: Love that. Really practical, realistic words of advice, Stephanie. Thank you again so much for taking the time out. It was a real pleasure getting to know you, hear a little bit more about Thracio and the work that you're doing, and best of luck in the future. Really exciting stuff coming from you guys. So, can't wait to see what's ahead. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, There you have it, folks. A fascinating conversation with an executive at a fast-growing, ever-evolving company that is shaking up the marketplace space. I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on this episode. So drop us a line, drop us some feedback, a uh, rating and review on your preferred podcast player. Uh, We're on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher. Honestly, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're likely there. And of course, subscribe. You will get alerts when new episodes are available. Speaking of which, we are taking July 5th off for the long weekend. Um, So this will give you some ample time to binge some past episodes that you may have missed. And we'll be back on July 12th with a uh, new episode. So again, subscribe and you'll get that new content delivered right to your device as soon as it's available. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.